0: Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I remember I was preaching at a church in uh, Mallorca, Spain, and it was a Nigerian church. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I would say a sentence and they would say, Amen. And I'd say, turn to Acts chapter 1, Amen. <laughs> I'd say, it's sunny outside. Amen. So so I said to them, look, just stop saying amen all the time. And so they went, amen. It, it was a lost cause. We had to say amen. But, hallelujah. Amen. But, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're getting to the word of God now. (laughs) It speaks of Christ, our Passover lamb. And it says, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And I want to talk about the lamb of God, the the Passover lamb. If you're from the U.S., it's the Passover lamb, but it doesn't sound right. In Genesis (laughs) chapter 22 verse 8, or Genesis chapter 22, you, you see a story where Abraham obviously has his son of promise. And God, you know, it's so weird not talking without an interpreter. I'm, I'm pausing. So just give me a moment. all right? So Abraham, God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you've got your son of promise, Isaac, now. I want you to take your son and to go up onto that mountain and sacrifice him. How many of you know the story? All right. So he obeys God. He takes Isaac, and they're going up to the mountain. And, you know, he goes all the way. He prepares the the altar. He ties up Isaac, who was around the age of 8 to 13 years old in that, that range there. Ties him up. Has everything prepared. Lifts the knife up. He's bringing the knife down when the Lord calls out to him and says, Abraham, stop. Don't harm your son. And because I have prepared a lamb for myself. I have prepared a sacrifice. And that's where the word Jehovah Jireh comes from. It means the Lord will provide. You see, we use that word for money many times in the charismatic church, but it has nothing to do with money. It has to do with the fact that God has provided himself a lamb. So Abraham taking his son up to that mountain is a type of, of the father sending his son, Jesus, who went to the Mount of Golgotha. And and gave his life there for you and my sins. But it says the Lord will provide a lamb unto himself. Everybody say that. The Lord will provide a lamb unto himself. Lamb. <laughs> All right. So in Exodus chapter twelve, who's got your Bibles here? You mean you come to church without your Bible? I hope some people have electronic Bible. Yeah, yeah. Never come to church without your Bible or something, like an electronic Bible or something. Right? But Exodus chapter 12, you see in there the Passover happening. And it, and the story goes like this. They were in Egypt. Moses came. He was about to deliver them. But before he, uh, the deliverance came, before they left Egypt, this event happened where God told them, take a lamb, prepare it, eat it, put the blood on the... On the on the walls, I mean on the door. Remember the story? So that the blood was there, and then when the angel of death came, it passed over the the, the homes or the families where the blood was applied. But there's a whole thing that happened with that lamb, the Passover lamb, that is amazing, because you will see Jesus, our Passover lamb in it, and it's powerful. See, often as Christians, we say, yes, we believe Jesus is my Savior. He died for my sins. But it's almost like we believe it because we were told it, but we don't really know why He is the Savior of the world, why His, his blood washed away our sins. And it's very powerful for our faith when we know the foundation or the root of it. So he said, okay if we go into this today? Yeah. We try not to rush it, I might, I don't know, but we try not to. Okay, so let's go. Let's start in Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. So where were they? They were still in captivity, still in Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. In other words, God started the calendar for them right there. And isn't it interesting today, even in the world, I mean, they're trying to change it to a different calendar today because they're trying to do Christ, do away with Christ and everything. But we still follow that calendar. We have the BC and the AD. In other words, this is the calendar. This is the most important point, the coming and the promise of the Messiah, Jesus, the Lamb of God. All right. Come on, somebody say Amen. Be a little bit Nigerian to me. All right. Verse three, it says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of the month of this first month, everybody saying the tenth of the first month, mark that in your brain. Every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for each household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor take to his house. Let them take according to the number of the persons, according to each man's need. You shall make your count for the lamb. In other words, let each household take a lamb. But if you are too small and you've got two small households, join together and take one lamb. Now, this is an awesome scripture. Because this scripture gives you and me a promise. Because obviously we know Jesus is the Lamb of God. Obviously we know it's all about His shed blood. Obviously we know it's all about salvation and all that Jesus bought for us. This thing, it says you take it for each household and and for your neighbor. Look, this is the gospel. Going to all the world and preach the gospel and whoever believes will be saved. But there's also a scripture in the book of Acts that says you will be saved. You and your whole household, and for and all those who might call upon the name of the Lord. So yeah, you have a promise. Yeah, you have a promise for the salvation of your family. Come on, Christian. Say, my father shall be saved. My mothers shall be saved. My sisters, my brothers, my cousins. You know, the most difficult people to get saved often is <laughs> that family, That's family members. But yeah, you have a promise. Your family shall be saved. Amen. And your neighbor. like we, where we live now in Florida, we say, wait a minute, we claim our neighbor's salvation. They have no choice. They are under this promise to us. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> and they either get saved or they move away. So the, the one family moved away. So we said, praise God. The next family that comes in, they will be subject or open to the gospel. But that's the promise we have. Come on, tell somebody this is the truth. All right, Hallelujah. Verse five. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year, and you shall make the, and you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some of the blood and they shall put it on the two doorposts on the lintel and of the houses where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasting it in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, do not boil it at all in water, but roast it in fire, its head with its legs and its and its entire in trails, and you shall let none of its remains remain until morning, and whatever remains of it in the morning, you shall burn it in fire. Wow, everyone say, wow. wow, that's a lot of information right there. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's going to get exciting. Tell somebody it's going to get exciting. Right, so it says on the first month, and we say the first month of the tenth day, you shall take a lamb. And shall separate it for four days, and then on the 14th day, you will kill it. Now, here's where it gets very interesting. Jesus entered Jerusalem on the 10th day of the first month. Four days later, on the 14th, they crucified him. Come on, somebody say Jesus was the Lamb of God. Four, day, four days. Four days. 4,000 years from Adam to Christ. 4,000 years. The Bible, the prophets, the, they declared the Christ to come, the Messiah. 4,000 years. You see, this, those four days, the 10th to the 14th, it was important because they would take the Lamb They would separate it. They would put it in there. And then they would would examine the lamb for those four days. Tell somebody, the lamb was examined during the four days. You see, in the 4,000 years, it was declared, this will be the lamb of God. Think about it. If that 4,000 years declaration of, of Christ, if that did not happen, how would they have known? that there was even a Christ, that there was even a Messiah. How would they even have known how to identify him? Come on, Christians. They wouldn't have. That's why these people that say, do away with the Old Testament, they're crazy. The Old Testament declares, prophesies, defines who the Christ is. That's why the book of Ephesians says the the church is built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. The prophets being what was declared in the old, the Christ to come, who He would be. There are close to 300 prophecies concerning the Christ that were fulfilled in Jesus. Come on. And then there were the apostles that walked with Him, talked with Him. They were personal witnesses of what He taught and what He did. And Jesus Christ, Being the chief cornerstone. But everybody say, four days the Lamb was separated. separated. And And he was examined. Now Jesus was examined seven times during those four days. First time was by Pilate. We won't go to the scripture, I'll just tell you then. John chapter 19, he was examined by Pilate. And Pilate's words were, I can find no fault with this man. By Herod in Luke chapter 23, Herod said the same thing. This is a faultless man. I find no fault in him. By both high priests of the day, Ananias and Kephias. In fact, they were frustrated because they wanted to find fault. And they could not. So legally... They couldn't condemn him, so they sent him off. They could find no fault in him, even by Judas, who denied Jesus for money. Remember? For silver. After he denied Jesus, he came back to them and said, I have betrayed an innocent man. And they looked at him and said, what has this got to do with us? And they threw the money to the ground. Judas said, I betrayed an innocent man. Come on, Christians. By the centurion at the cross, he looked up at Jesus. And what did he say? He said, surely this is the Son of God. Surely he is. By the thief next to Jesus. He said, look. He said to the other thief. He says, we are the ones that should rightfully be crucified on this cross. But this man sitting next to this man being crucified next to us here, he said he should not be. We are the guilty ones. Come on. Was the Lamb of God, Jesus, examined during those four days? Yes, he was. And you know what? He was found blameless. Everybody say, he was found blameless. In verse 5 it says, the Lamb... Shall be without blemish. He was found blameless. A male of the first year. Say it a male of the first year. Now, this is very important. Everybody say the first year. In other words, the firstborn. Now, yeah, there's an interesting thing in the, in the Old Testament and in the, in, in the Word of God where the firstborn is always the second and the second is always the first. What about the scripture Jesus said, the first will be last, and the last will be first. And so I'm going to give you some examples of this and then I'll bring Jesus into it. Right, because it says the male, the lamb, must be the firstborn. First is last, second is first, first is second. All right, it's it's a type of the Messiah. For example, Jacob, and Esau. All right. Ishmael and Isaac. Adam and Jesus. <laughs> Adam was the first Adam, Jesus was the second Adam. What about Israel and the church? You get the natural Israel, you get the spiritual Israel. Right now, the Israel was at was first, but now The the spiritual Israel is first. But the day will come when we will all come together and we are all one in Christ. What about about your born-again experience? Jesus said to to Nicodemus, You must be born again. Nicodemus said, What? I I must be born twice? Must I go back into my mother's womb and then come out a second time? But Jesus was saying, No, the first birth... Is in the natural, but the second birth you get born in the spirit. So say the first will be last, and the last will be first. So was Je- did Jesus fulfil that condition of the Lamb? Yes, he did. He was the second Adam. Tell somebody he was the second Adam, firstborn, a male of the first year. In other words, he had to be the lamb when it was examined was not to be too young or too old. It had to be in the prime of its life. In other words, it had to be strong, healthy. Do you understand? Yes. What, why, why did Jesus get born in the manger and he waited all those years? Why did he not go to the cross at 17? or at 18 or at 20 or at 25 no because when you are around, 33 is the prime you're the strongest the healthiest and there's a reason for it you see because when Jesus went to the cross when he went through that suffering he had to endure it He had to take the suffering. He had to take the pain. He had to pay the price. All the way. It had to be a full payment. So he had to be in the prime of his life. I mean, if you see the suffering that Jesus went through and the things that he did, a weak man who was physically weak could not take that. Many would have died halfway. And many did in those days. But you see, the Lamb of God was separated for four days. He was examined, found blameless, and he was in the prime of his life. He was the firstborn. Blameless. Jesus Christ. Tell somebody, Jesus was the firstborn. He was blameless. He was in the prime of his life. Isn't that amazing? goes on to say, in Exodus 12, verse 8 through 10. And it says, and they shall eat the flesh on that night. Because remember, on the 14th day, they killed the lamb. And they shall eat the flesh on that night. And they shall roast it in fire with unleavened bread. And with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. You see, unleavened bread means there's no sin. But in Jesus' in Jesus's case, all the sins of the world came upon him. That's why he paid for the sins of the world, but the payment, the the, the ransom that he paid, it was bitter because it, it cost. He gave his life. Do not eat it raw, nor boil it in water. But rather, it must be roasted in fire. In other words, and it goes on to say it must be roasted in fire. And if there's anything left over, it must be burnt. It must be totally, completely done. You see, Jesus had to be in the prime of his life because God, it needed to be completely fulfilled. The payment that he paid at the cross had to be completely paid. Not halfway, not 70%, not 40%. He had to go all the way. It had to be completely roasted. Everything done. When the night is over, whatever is left, burn it in the fire. And it said it had to be roasted in the fire. You know what that roasting stands for? Roasting, yeah. The word, the roasting in the lamb speaks of suffering. Tell somebody, the roasting speaks of suffering. The lamb was not to be boiled, but roasted. Suffered. Suffered. We had to be thoroughly roasted. Jesus, the Lamb of God, found blameless. Had to be roasted, had to suffer. Think about it. In the book of Isaiah... It says that they took Jesus, it speaks of the Messiah, that he was beaten beyond recognition. This is one of the reasons they believe when Mary ran to the tomb to see if he was alive and he was standing there, she didn't recognize him. Some people believe that it's because the last time she saw him, he was beaten beyond recognition. It says in the book of Isaiah that it says that they beat him so much, but, and they, they ripped the flesh out of him that, they, that his innermost parts, his organs, could be seen. All right? They pulled his beard out. I mean, come on, you guys with beards, have your beard pulled out? It's not just hair coming out. Yeah. What about the crown of thorns? It says that when they put the crown of thorns, they put a robe on him, and then they mocked him, and they took a stick, and they beat him on the head with it. And they mocked him and they said, come on, king of the Jews? Are you not a king? Save yourself. Come on. They spat on him. They mocked him. And then there's the 39 stripes, the cat of nine tails, four leather, leather um, things bound with glass, stone, and different things that was designed to go into the flesh catch it, and then they would rip the flesh out. And he got 39 of them. And really, seven, 39. Right. Now wonder it they could see his innermost parts, the Bible says. Think about that. Roasted. Thoroughly roasted. Nothing was to be left over. It had to be a full, complete suffering. And yet, they said to him, take your cross and carry it up that hill to the hill of Golgotha. Now think about it. You're, I mean, literally, his flesh torn away, his bones exposed, and he has to carry that wooden cross on his back. You know, he carries it up to, the, up to the hill of Golgotha, where they nail him to the cross in his hands and his feet. And I mean, they they used to take the cross, and once they nailed him, they would lift the cross up, and the, the cross would go, boom, in the ground. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine? And he didn't sit there like some of the pictures and say, oh, a nice loincloth. No, he hung there naked. Roasted. Tell somebody, roasted. Nailed. Thoroughly. Roasted. And if there's anything left over... Throw it in the fire in the morning. Why was he to be in the prime of his life? Because he had to endure the cross all the way to the end. Come on, Christian. The Lamb of God took away the sins of the world. Oh, my God. The suffering. It was a long, continued suffering. The road to the cross. Jesus, the Lamb of God. I love this part. It goes on to say about when they ate the lamb, uh, completely roasted, that when they ate it, the rule was not one bone was to be broken when they ate the lamb. Not one bone. Tell somebody, not one bone. (laughs) Not one bone. And of course, we know that their custom was the... the, the, the Roman soldiers, they would come to see if they were dead. And if they weren't dead, they would break their bones, their legs. And then the the, the crucifixion, they wouldn't be able to hold themselves up and they would suffocate and they would die. But when he came to Jesus, he looked and he said, Wait a minute, I think he's dead. And so he pierced him in the side and blood and water came out. And so he broke not one bone in the lamb. Not one bone in the Messiah was broken. Listen to these scriptures. Listen to these scriptures. It's amazing. Exodus 12 verse 46. In one house it shall be eaten eaten, and you shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house. In other words, it had to be consumed or or thrown in the fire. Nor shall you break even one of its bones. Psalm 22 verse 16 through 18. It says, for dogs have surrounded me. This is a scripture speaking of Jesus. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed around me. They, they pierced my hands and they pierced my feet. I count every one of my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments. Remember, they took their yeah. this. They, they divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast their lots. Come on. What you say, Jesus. Jesus? This is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. The Son of God, the Lamb of God, thoroughly roasted, not, but yet fulfilling everything that was told about Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Everything. They took the blood. When they killed the lamb, they took the blood and they poured it into a bowl. And then they took a, they took some, a plant called hyssop – everybody say hyssop, hyssop. – and they took it, and they would apply the blood on the, on the doorposts. You know, it's interesting, hyssop, if you study it in the Bible, it means purification, <laughs> cleansing, right? And they take the blood and they applied it to the post of the, of the door because something was about to happen. That angel of judgment was coming, It was going to pass over Egypt, and wherever the blood was not found, and wherever the lamb was not eaten, and wherever all the conditions were not fulfilled, the firstborn died. You know, it's interesting. They were to eat the lamb. This is an awesome part. They had to eat the lamb fully dressed, belt on, shoes on, bags packed, ready to go. <laughs> Tell somebody, they were ready to go. So yeah, they are. Imagine it. They're cooking the lamb. They're eating. They're going through this whole thing. They've applied the blood, but they fully packed, ready to go. Now, ask yourself the question, what if one of the families said, you know what? All these rules, all these things. Why do we have to do this? Who cares? You know, I mean, what is this about breaking bones? Do we I mean, come on. It's a lamb. We're eating it. And forget the blood. What's this thing about the blood and oil? what's it? What would have happened? They would have not been protected. They would have not they would have not enjoyed the Passover. What do you think the Passover was all about? Judgment did not come to your life. Judgment did not come to your household. Come on. Now think about this. Think about this. Yeah. Jesus said. Jesus said. He said there. He, he, many of the, the parables that Jesus preached were kind of like in this direction. He said there's ten Have you know the story? Five foolish, five wise. Everybody say five foolish, Five foolish. Five five wise. In other words, five had their bags packed and ready. Five had the blood applied to their life. Five ate the lamb and made sure not any of the bones were broken. Five did this. The other five they did not. And when 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 the the bridegroom came, the five that were ready, they went with him. The five that were not stayed. You see this story it's about the Lamb of God. It's about the shed blood of Jesus. It's about all those things. It's about the fact that He was roasted, He suffered for us for our, for our salvation, for our freedom, for our, our healing, for our it, it, to give us eternal life. Forgiveness, freedom, all these things we enjoy today. but never forget, never forget, the day will come. For all of us. The day will come when it's all said and done. When everything is finished. When there's now no longer titles, positions, how much money you've got, what kind of car you drive, what kind of clothes you wear, what kind of degrees you got bef- behind you. None of that matters. Because we will all All stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. doesn't matter what you believe. Whether you believe or don't believe. Whether you curse God or bless God. Whether you are are, are on fire for Jesus or lukewarm in the church. It matters not. You will stand before Him. Come on. And you know what? He will look at you. And you will be judged. And just like that day, that day with the Passover lamb, you know what he will look? He will go to the lamb's book of life and he will look to say, is your name written in there? In other words, who has the blood applied to the door of their life? Who has applied the blood to the life? Who has walked through the one and only door? We know that is Jesus. Who has done it? Because I tell you what, on that day of judgment, where the blood is not found, (laughs) where the blood is not found, and the judgment passes over everybody, you don't want to be found with your name not written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You don't want to be found with the blood not covering your life. This is, a, this is an awesome message. It's a glorious message because we see the Lamb of God. We see the suffering. We see what He went through. We, we see what He did for us. And we see the victory. We see the resurrection. We see what He's given to us, the Holy Ghost. All this but let's see also that there is there is a mix in it, the mix, and the mix is the fear of God. Don't think that we can we can live our lives in this world however we want and think that one day it will not have eternal consequences because it will. That blood. They were ready. In other words, they ate ready. See, here's the call. The first call is receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Have your sins washed away. Become brand new. You will be born again. You'll become a new creature. And many have answered, even in this room. But there's a second one live ready, live prepared. Live holy, live righteous, because you do not know the day nor the hour when the Son of God will return. Come on. Yes. You see, there's two calls to the, to, to the world. Receive Jesus, but to the church, stay ready, live right. Amen. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Tell your neighbor next to you, don't be foolish. foolish. (laughs) Live Live wise. Because Jesus is coming back. How holy and altogether pure is the Lamb of God. How wonderful is he. You want to know his love? Look at the cross. You want to know what he's done for you? Look at the lamb. It was slain for you. Don't dishonor him by not living ready. Don't dishonor him by saying, yeah, I've made it in. Hallelujah. I've got fire insurance, you know. I'm not going to hell now, so I made it. I just made it. But you know what? My life is still my life. No, your life is not your life as a Christian. You see, this is the Western Gospel. But if you read the Gospel that Jesus taught us, It's the divine exchange. Jesus gave His life. The Lamb gave His life. He was thoroughly roasted. He suffered. He was in the prime of His life in order that He would go all the way. He was blameless. But He did it for you. He gave everything so that you might go free. And you do find freedom. You do find life. But your life was bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Your life is no longer your. He gave his life to you. You give your life to him. Come on. I'm crucified with Christ. Yeah? It is no longer I who lives in this flesh, but, but I live now in this flesh by faith in the Son of God. That's the gospel. Oh, Vincent, but I have rights. No, you serve a king. Not a republic or democracy, yeah. You serve a king, but what a good king. You say, oh, Jesus will put no burden on me. Really? He didn't say that. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, but he did not say there is not a yoke and a burden with him. There is something that you are required to take on. <laughs> Come on, Christians. If everything is free and easy, then it has no value. Think about it. Kids that get everything, there's no cost. There's no. They just get. Oh, you want it? Here it is. Oh, you need it? There it is. Take more. Oh yeah. Oh you. Oh no. In fact, you know what? They get spoiled. They get arrogant and they think they're entitled to everything. Yeah. Right. But you get a guy or a person that has to work, has to fight for everything, they pay a price. You know what? Those things have value. So come on now. Don't, don't take the value of what Jesus has done because he paid the price. Do you want to know what worth you have? Come on. Think about this. Like one guy said, I mean, I want to ask you, who here has been to an art gallery? I mean, maybe, I don't know, to go see art. I remember going there because my wife's an artist. I went in there, and to be honest with you, (laughs) I go there only because I love my wife, you know, because otherwise I would not be found within 15 years. She mustn't watch this video. But, But I would go in there, and I'm like, she's like, isn't this amazing? I'm going... Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I would look at it, and the thing I would always look at—not the, really the painting, but the price. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I would, and I would look at this painting. That really, I would say, "Wow, that's actually pretty good," you know. And then I would come down to the thing, and I'm look at it, the, and I'd say, "Oh, it's only like two hundred or something." I was like, "That thing should be more than that." Then I keep going, I keep going, and I come to this big canvas, and it's a big red dot, with white around it. And I'm thinking, really? This has made it in, yeah? What is this thing worth? And I look down, and it's like thirteen thousand. And I'm thinking, what? Who would pay thirteen thousand for a red dot? I can go home and make my own red dot. Why? 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 Why do I have to pay thirteen thousand for a red dot? Huh? But what gives that red dot the worth and the value of thirteen thousand? You know what it is. Somebody somewhere is willing to pay thirteen thousand for it. That's what gives it the value. So what about your life? What's your value? Your value, you can see the, your value by what Jesus was willing to pay for you. Come on, Christian. So that, that, for that reason, let's live ready. Let's live a life that honors him. Let's not live with one f- foot in the world, one foot with God, and think, hey, it's all okay with me. No, it's not okay with you. you are, you're living a compromised life. You mean it's okay if I preach like this? Yes. See, you can't preach this without preaching that. You know, I, was, I was once, I won't tell the nation because. People who know me will know who they are. <laughs> but I went to this nation, okay? And we, we had something like in the, under this thing around two and a half thousand people, okay? Pastors came from all over their church, because many churches came and they were the pastors and their leaders, and they were all there, and people came out from the mountains. We had buses busing them in. I mean, it was pretty awesome, you know? And so I get up there and I start preaching, and I preach the message. You must live ready. Pretty much what I'm preaching now. And I made an altar call. And 70% of the pastors came running down to the front. And I thought to myself, if they are not ready, if they are not living right, if there's things in their life that isn't correct, what about the people? God is not mocked. What you sow is what you reap, and you know what—that has nothing to do with money. That says if you sow according to the flesh, it'll kill you. But if you sow according to the spirit, you will reap eternal. You will reap things of the spirit. Be. Be careful what you're sowing towards. Come on, tell somebody, aren't you glad you came this morning? (laughs) Where's the joy now? But Galatians, what does it say? Humble yourself in the presence of God. Does it say there? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And we revival people, we get very excited. We say, Yes, we'll draw near to God. Hallelujah. We're gonna pursue him with a fire and a passion in our hearts, but they don't read the next verse. It says, draw your, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Sorry, this is in James. He'll draw near to you. And then it says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double minded. Oh my God, what kind of revival meeting is there? I thought we were drawing near to God yeah. No, what he's saying, come on, humble yourself before the almighty God. Draw near to Him. He will draw near to you. But come on, live right, live ready, live prepared, because you do not know the day and the hour. Christian, don't get so relaxed with life, so whatever will be, will be. Because I find that. I go places around the world where you find the Christians. They, it's like, yeah, whatever. Really. Did Jesus go to the cross while he's been roasted in the fire? any suffering, did he go at any stage, whatever, I'm going to break halfway for a cappuccino. (laughs) Did he do that? No, No, he didn't. And he prepared himself. God prepared the lamb beforehand, thousands of years before by this story, saying on the 10th day, the lamb will be separated. He will, he will be examined. For four days, Jesus was examined, found blameless in the prime of his life. The lamb was prepared, put together, and Jesus fulfilled all righteousness by fulfilling every prophecy, everything declared about him. Jesus fulfilled it in those days. That is amazing. For God so loved the world. Three words I want to share with you that sums up the cross, that sums up the Lamb of God. The first word is the word substitution. And you, you can do a study on this at home. Look it up. Look the words up, these three words up. The first one is substitution. He is your substitute. You were lost in your sin. Mankind was lost. You deserved punishment. You and I deserved to be roasted. Come on. Your sin put you in opposition to God your sin caused you to be to be in transgression to be in disobedience your sin but the lamb of god became your substitute he took your sins your transgression your error he took it on the cross in your place he suffered he was roasted in your place on your behalf Say this, Jesus is my substitute. Is my substitute. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God, that should make you jump and run in circles just alone. The other word is, here's my ransom. You see, a, pay, a price had to be paid for the sins of the world, for your sins. All sin is against God. All sin. From the beginning to the end. A price had to be paid. That was the law. And Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll be their ransom, I'll do it for them, and I will pay the price. I'll be their ransom. So say these words. Jesus is my ransom. Jesus wow. He's my substitute. And he's my ransom. ransom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. See, when the devil comes against you, you can say, now, wait a minute. I know who who I am in Christ, and I know who Christ is in me. And this next word, you can say it three times with me. He is my (laughs) propitiation. Say it again. Say it again, Sam, three times. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this, is, this, is found, this is found in the book of Hebrews where what it means is this. When Jesus shed his blood, died, I'm, I'm waiting for the interpreter all this time. When Jesus shed his blood and died, <laughs> went to the tomb, laid there three days, was risen from the dead, Listen here, if he had died and not been risen, his death would have meant nothing. Right. The fact that he was risen from the dead, it was God Almighty saying, I bear witness to it. Oh, yes. In other words, the courts of heaven, yeah, the, the tabernacle in heaven, the throne in heaven says, acceptable. Yes. And as a result, resurrection power. And Jesus was raised from the dead. And he became the firstborn of many brethren, the first fruits of many brethren. And you know who are the rest of the brethren? Look around you today. Look around you. He was the first fruit. When he, when he rose from the dead, he had in mind you and me. But you see, the day came where it says he took his blood. Everybody say he took his blood. All right, and he went into the, into the heavenlies, into heaven. Come on. You see, that door, that doorpost with the blood, Jesus is the open door. Jesus, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. The Jews will tell you whenever you mention the way, the truth, and the knife, and, and the knife, <laughs> the way, the truth, <laughs> Sam, you're messing with me. Are oh, you writing those texts? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whenever it says the way, the truth, and the life, it's always talking about the tabernacle. It's always talking about the, the, the outer court, the, the holy place, and the most holy place. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am the temple. I am the tabernacle. He is the way, He is the door. And He took that blood, He took it there, and He took it to the mercy seat. And he, put, he sprinkled it seven times. You know, Jesus shed his blood seven times, if you, if you do that study. He sprinkled it seven times on the mercy seat. Because the mercy seat cries out mercy. But you see, God, he has a thing you have to know about God. He is so pure. He is so holy. He is pure light. There's no darkness in him. Nothing... Everything contrary to that, it demands judgment. It's not like he's nasty, but pure purity, holiness. Imagine how pure and holy and right God is. Nothing that is contrary to that can stand before him. But, everybody say but. but. The blood of Jesus <laughs> sprinkled on that mercy seat. So yeah, the, this, 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 this side of God says, judgment. But the blood on the mercy says, mercy. Judgment, not judgment, mercy. And that is the propitiation. In other words, the blood of Jesus forever bears witness for you and me, forever cries out, Mercy you and me and it is eternal because it has been sprinkled in an eternal place and for that reason you and I have entrance into heaven for that reason you and I have eternal life because yes. yes. the blood is there yes. if the blood is not there we would have no entrance yes. and so the blood is sprinkled on the door hallelujah, hallelujah. Nice. come on Bump that Christian next to you and tell them, Wake up. Wake up. <laughs> Ephesians chapter one verse eighteen. says, so in order that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened. In other words, hey, become aware of it, get the revelation, understand, get what God's trying to tell you. All right? In order that you might know what is the hope, now I want you to hear the language, what the hope of His calling is, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Come on, how many saints have we got here? Oh, my God. So Christ is saying, Jesus is it's saying that Jesus has an inheritance in you. He has a calling and a hope in you. Yeah. We're always saying, hey, I've got hope. I want my calling. I want my inheritance. No, he's got it in you. Wow. In other words, listen here. What he accomplished as the Lamb of God... He, he did it in heaven, but I tell you what, he wants to see it. He wants to see it. He wants possession of it in you. He wants evidence. He wants fruit. He wants to see it in you. Because that's his inheritance. That's his calling. That's his hope. That's what he's looking for. So who are you? Oh, my God. Who am I? As a believer, the Bible says, you're, you're born again, you're a new creature, you're a brand new man or person, that's female and male, brand new creature. Say that, I'm a brand new creature. I'm brand new creature. That's why I'm, I am peculiar. That's why I'm peculiar, I'm different, because Christ is in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Oh, my God. In other words, the anointing in me, his inheritance in me, his hope in me. That Christ, that hope, that inheritance in me is the hope of his glory. In other words, it it is the hope and the desire and, and to see it manifested and done in my life and through my life. Who am I? Who are you? The Bible says you're more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthens you. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Amen. Not even death, not persecution, not nothing. Nothing. Everybody say nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Wow. You overcome this world by your faith. What about this one? I'm sure you know it. Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. What about this one? He will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or even think or imagine. How will He do it? He'll do it according to the the power that works within you. So who are you? You are a child of God. You are the temples of the Holy Ghost. People say, where is God? God is with His people. Amen. God is with you. Amen. Where is God manifesting Himself? Lift your hands. With me. Say with me. Amen. You are a potential manifestation of God. Amen. <laughs> temples of the Holy Ghost. It says, rivers. Rivers will flow from our innermost being. These signs need to be chased after and sought after by them that believe. Does it say that? No. no, it says these signs will follow them that believe. In other words, if you're living right, you're walking right, you're preaching the gospel right, the signs are there. In fact, if you look at the disciples and the apostles, they never really prayed for signs and wonders. They, what they prayed for was, Lord. Help us with boldness. Help us to preach your word with confidence and boldness, and you stretch out your hand to perform healings and signs and wonders. Because they knew if they preach, if they stand, if they present themselves right, God does it. It follows them. Tell somebody it follows you. It follows you. Hallelujah. Who are you? (laughs) You're a child of God. You're a new creature. You know who you are? You're the church. Body of Christ. You know who you are? You have eternal life. You are recipients of all that the Lamb when he went to the cross, all that he did when he rose from the dead, all that he did when he went back into heaven to bring his blood, you are recipients, you are a recipient of, the, of it. Hallelujah. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> that is amazing if you think about it. If you just think about it. He's my ransom. He's my substitute. He's still interceding for me. His blood is still speaking for me now. That's why I can come to the, to the throne of grace with boldness, knowing that I will not be turned away, knowing that he hears me when I pray. But let's get back. That living ready. Live ready. Live right. Live righteous. Live holy. Don't be foolish. Don't let your pride take you away from what God has for you. Pride is the own. Pride, you know, the pride is a crazy thing. The Bible says the pride person falls, trips and falls, and is the last one to know it. Everybody else sees it. They're the last one to know it. But by the time they know it, they are already laying on the floor. Humble yourself. You know what biblical humility is? Biblical humility is this. It's not making yourself a doormat at the front of the church for everybody to step on two or three times and you never say no. That's not humility. That's stupidity. Biblical humility is this. I've got my will and desires, but I choose to do it your way, God. See, when Jesus in the garden, he said, not my will, but your will be done. You know what he was doing? He was saying, I humble myself, my Father. I go all the way to the cross. If it's your will, I do it. It's hard. (coughs) If it's possible, let this cup be taken from me. But... Not my will be done, but your will be done. He humbled himself. He said, I don't live for myself. I live for you. Come on, Christian. That should be your heart's cry. That should be your heart's desire. That should be what motivates you. You see, a lot of people that come into church, they go to Bible school, they do all those things. And the motivation is, I just hope somebody notices me. just hope I get a reputation. I just hope a ministry is birthed. I just hope I can be used by God. But you know what? All that stuff, when you come to the Lamb, when you come to Jesus, the Lamb of God, what is that? There's only one reputation that matters. It is His. There's only one message that, ha- that matters. It is his. You, humble your... When you see him, when John saw him on the Isle of Pentecost, Isle of Patmos, what did he do? Did he run up and say, hey, cool, Jesus, it's so great to see you. No, he fell on his face as a dead man. He didn't stand up and say, Well, I'm the Apostle John. I laid my head upon Jesus' I've got I've got points, I've got reputation, I've got title. No. When he saw him, he fell on his face as a dead man. Come on, tell somebody. Titles mean nothing. Reputation means nothing. Nothing. When you dead to that then God can maybe use you. Amen. Who cares? Who cares? Some of, the most, some of the most anointed men that I've had privilege of rubbing shoulders with and preaching with, I've always noticed this about them. There they are at the top of the thing. Everybody wants to be where they are. And they couldn't care less. <laughs> they couldn't care less. Titles. They couldn't kill us. They always tell me, they always look at you with these eyes. This meeting's great. It's God's doing is wonderful. But you know what? I could easily not be here. You know why? They don't serve ministry. They serve him. They know in the end of the day, it's not about that. Who was it that um, he just recently died? Billy Graham. Right before he went home to be with the Lord, they asked him, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do different? And he said, you know what? He said, if I had to do it all over again, I would stay home, spend more time with the Lord Jesus, and I would tell him how much I love him. Don't chase ministry. Pursue God. When you pursue God, when you find Him, you find everything. When you find Him, He is so satisfying. You know, I've been in the ministry now 29 years, okay? That's a long time. I know there's some of you in here that aren't even 29. I mean, I had my days where I preached in front of, I mean, thousands and thousands of people where the multitudes were there. I went to One Nation where they wouldn't leave me alone. The TV cameras followed me around everywhere. The, 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 the They were constantly asking me, what is God saying for our nation? What is God saying for my... The one time I went into a restroom, I thought I was alone. It was a public restroom. Next thing I hear somebody walk in behind me and I turn around and there's a camera and a microphone and I went... Who are you?" They said, we just want to know what, what is God saying for a nation. I said, do you mind. Can I just finish? <laughs> I mean, they wouldn't leave me alone. Where well, you can't walk down the street and they know who you are. So, reputation? But you know what? I did that for ten years. I used to go and preach a month at a time, three, four, five times a day jumping from this country to that country to this country to that country in, in just 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 always in front of large groups of people just and would wave my hands and hundreds would just fall under the power of God and all kinds of stuff and one day I was I, I remember it I was in San Jose Costa Rica I was I just preached that night in a church about 3,000 and I was praying preparing for the next day and I was just crying out to the Lord and the The glory of God came into the room, and I fell on my face, and the Lord said to me, So Vincent, have you got that out of your system now? I said, What, Lord? What? Your need to preach. Your desire to preach. You got it out of your system? What a statement from God. (laughs) <laughs> and you know what I'm gonna, I don't know why I'm sharing this today but you know what, the truth is it was out of my system because I had preached so much, done this jumped around there, gone there I've lived in hotel rooms, planes all kinds of stuff and you know what I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I could walk away from this now, I don't care He said, you got it out of your system I said, oh yeah I've got it out of my system that's why what most men and women of God that are just being used by the Lord, you'll find their greatest desire is just to go find an island with one tree, <laughs> air conditioner, and just to be left alone. <laughs> There's a desire in your heart for that. You go, oh, Jesus, that palm tree, that that, that one island, air conditioner. Yeah, But, but because... The things that used to matter to you, the things that were important, you find out there's nothing more important than him. That's right. And that is, because that's when the Lord said, "You got it out of your system." Mm-hmm. I said, "Yes." He says, "Now find me." Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, I was—I mean, I'm telling you, I was—I was—we were having miracles. I'd wave my hands. Like I said, five, six, seven thousand people, 400 power guard. I was meeting with, with mayors and presidents. They'd, they'd come to me secretly and say, please come to my house, my mansion, my penthouse. I'd go there and their whole families would be there. I don't tell people this. But I would go there, but you know what? God did all that. But I found out at the end of the day, it's empty. It's empty. And if you're not careful, all that moving, all that working, all that stuff will burn you out. It will make you tired. And you become numb to the things of God. But you know what? You find that the Lamb of God is still there. The sweetness, the depth, the closeness, the love, that brokenness, that beauty, that splendor who he is to you and all that other stuff. Who cares? Who cares? Reputation? Come on. If you get reputation, let God give it to you. You don't try to make it happen. If you get recognition, let God give it to you. You don't make it happen. If you get recognized or, or you get promoted, let God do it. Don't, don't promote yourself. Some people, they're good promoters, man. My God. They don't even need the anointing. They're good at promoting. I will not do that. God must do it, or else I don't want it, because it's empty. I don't know why I'm talking like this to you today, but, but maybe the Lord wants to challenge some of your motives. He wants to challenge you. told my sons that I've got two of them in the ministry now. One is coming up. Who knows what he'll be? You know, he, he's still a mystery. But I always, I always tell my my two sons. I say to them, look, when they were starting to go, I used to say to them, I said, look, you want to do the ministry? Yes, Dad. We're gonna preach the gospel. We're gonna raise the dead. I'm saying, okay. We're gonna cleanse the lepers. I say, have you ever seen a leper? <laughs> you, we're gonna, we're gonna open blind eyes. Have you ever seen a blind person? Well, maybe once in the movies or whatever. I said, now listen to me. I said, here's the truth. Here's the truth. No matter what you choose to do in life, here's the truth. There will always be somebody somewhere out there. And it's, a, and, and it's a guarantee. They'll do what you do better than you. <laughs> God, somebody say, amen, hallelujah. It's the truth. When you don't care, then you're free. When you you make way for somebody to do what you're doing, and they don't do it as good as you, but you're willing to step aside and say, come on, then you are ready. When you're whirling, what if, what if God came to you and said, I love you so much. You're, you're so special to me. I've got a call of God for you. And I want you to do it for the rest of your life. What would you say to the Lord? You'd say, yes, Lord, just tell me, tell me, tell me. But I know what most of you are thinking. And then he says, you know, I just want you to there, at the River Church, I just want you to make sure the coffee is made for Pastor God (laughs) (laughs) and that the toilets are clean. Will you do that for me? This is my calling for you. Who would fall on your knees and just say, Lord, thank you. (laughs) I'm honored. I'm on it. You have given me the best. (laughs) I will do it for the rest of my days. I will pray over it. I will intercede. I will be faithful. Sounds crazy, isn't it? But that's the way it is. When God calls you, he asks you to do something. He He doesn't even open the next thing up to you until you do that. That is it as far as God is concerned. That is it. Now you're faithful with that. He'll come along and say, oh, okay, wait, what's going on here? That's the way it is. The Lamb of God. <laughs> what kind of thing he ministry. What a ministry. Will you go to the earth for me? Yeah. Now you must go down there. They're all going to reject you. (laughs) They're all going to persecute you. You're going to have some of them that will love you, but at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, there'll only be 120 that will show up for three years of ministry. Even though thousands (laughs) followed you, and miracles happened, and you did all, but at the end of the day, one in 120. But you know what? Before that even happens, they're going to reject you, they're going to mock you, they're going to spit on you, they're going to do all these things. Will you go? Will you go? And and you're going to die, you're going to suffer. Will you do it for me? The son looked at his father and said, Father, I'll do anything because I love you. Anything because I love you, my father. That was Jesus' attitude. He humbled himself. He went all the way, Pastor Godwin said, all the way to the cross, all the way. And he found equality with God, not something to be grasped. In other words, he said, it's okay, I don't need it. I challenge you in the name of Jesus. Live right. Live ready. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray. Father, we bring our lives to you. (laughs) We bring our lives. We know this is a little bit of a different meeting, Lord, I know. But we do say to you, Lord... Help us with our motives. Help us to live a life that is pleasing to you in everything. In everything that we do, when we wake up in the morning till we go to bed at night. Let us live pleasing. Let us live righteous and holy before you. In the name of Jesus. Help us, Lord, to look to Jesus as our example, how he lived, how he walked, how he did things. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come with great conviction on lives as I leave here today. In this, in this, when it concerns this. Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We welcome your Holy Spirit. Come and do this work in us. Let it be done thoroughly. Let us make that exchange because he gave his life for us. Let us give our lives to him. In the name of Jesus, amen. I was tempted to pray for some of you, but I'm not going to. We're going to do that tonight. But I want you to go, even as sober as you are now, okay? and I want you to take this message and think about it. and Go and examine your life. Go and examine your heart. Put yourself before the Lord. Let his light shine into your life. And say, Lord, am I, am I living right? What do I need to change? And when, you, and when you see there is something to change, look, don't beat yourself over the head with a stick. There's no condemnation in Christ. There's only freedom. But this is an invitation for some of you because here's the deal, and this is what I hear the Lord saying for some of you. Some of you have been fighting and fighting and fighting and wondering why you can't get your breakthrough. If, 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 if hands had to be laid on you any more than it is now, you, if you had hair on your head, you'd be bald. Seriously. It's not, it doesn't come by the laying on of hands. It doesn't. But if there is things... Look, change. Do the bold steps in your life and do the right thing. That which you know pleases God. And you will find that there is a loving God, a wonderful God that, I- that will have his arms open wide and you will get your breakthrough. I'll finish with this. How many of you know, I'm sure you preached on him before, who John G. Lake is? You know, he had a famous statement that was very, 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 very controversial in his day. He said, in a believer's life, if there's any area in their life that they do not have victory in, it is an area in their life that has not yet been fully surrendered to God. That's a hard statement. Do you agree? But how true. True. How true? Amen? So I'm going to leave you roasting a little, yeah? <laughs> Which means I've done my job well. Because I want you to think about it. And tonight we'll come back and we'll do, we'll do the impartation, Holy Ghost thing, new wine, the whole deal. Pray for the sick and that. But I want you to take this word and truly, truly shine that light onto your heart this afternoon and, and uh, do business with God. We could make an altar talk call now, and some of you would come down. But you know what? Make an altar with the Lord. Go to where you live. Make an altar and say, Lord, I will forever recognize you in my life. And I'll remain true and faithful to you. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, Do it.